0: Okay, church, I want you to turn in your Bibles. Without further ado, let's get into the Word of God. Amen? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Last week, we concluded our study in Romans chapter 6. Today, we get to move on. My title that I have for you this morning is... Our struggle with the remnants of sin. And if you look up your screen, look up on the screen, you can see we got a PowerPoint. Thank you, Michelle. And you'd be able to follow along. You'd be able to take some notes. You want to take a picture of the screen, you can do that too, instead of exhausting your hands with notes. Um, As I said, our title is Our Struggle with the Remnants of Sin. And that title actually applies to the entirety of the chapter, all of Romans 7. As you know, um, we are not necessarily going to have the time this morning to get through the entire chapter. So the title may not necessarily fit the verses that we're going to be looking at, but it does fit the whole chapter. And I just want you to bear that in mind. Turn with me to Romans 7. How many of you have it? Say amen. amen. Romans 7. We're going to be looking at Romans Uh, verses 1 through 12. 1 through 12. And the Bible reads, And do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if a husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she would be called an adulteress If she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh. Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code or the law. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetedness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment, the the promised life, proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Amen. Bow your heads. Let's pray really quickly once again. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to read it. Thank you that in this country, we still have the freedom to open up the Bible. Thank you for this campus, for this complex, for this church. Thank you for this congregation, Lord God. And the liberties, the many liberties that you give to us. Especially, as I stated already, the opportunity to open up the Bible. Thank you so much for these words. I pray that you give us life through them. I pray that you speak to your people this morning and help me with your wisdom, Lord God, to convey publicly what you've revealed to me in secret. I thank you for this and I pray this in Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. Amen. So today, as I stated, we begin our study in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. But as always, as I like to do, it's been my habit. I want to actually briefly summarize chapter six because I believe is actually going to help us to understand what we are going to discover next in this one particular chapter. In chapter 7, that is. So I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 6 because there are a couple of verses that I want to highlight here. And I want you to bear in mind what I believe to be Paul's main focus in this particular chapter, in chapter 6. And I believe that it was to give clarity concerning the, <clears throat> the subject Of grace in sin as it relates to how we live our lives. And that's what we talked about extensively last week and the week before last. In other words, Paul the Apostle is making this statement that yes, grace is amazing, it's powerful. God instituted grace so that we may have our sins forgiven. But he also instituted grace with this in mind. That we, as His children, may actually live for Him in return and not just simply continue in our unrighteousness. And so the application question that I posed was last week as a challenge was, now that we are free in Christ, does that mean we have the freedom to live as we choose? And there are a lot of churches, there are a lot of... A lot of spaces, let's put it that way, in Christendom today, where many people actually believe that because we are no longer condemned, because we are in Christ Jesus, that we somehow have the liberty to live life as we choose. And Paul the Apostle's point in this passage is that we do not, and that anybody who has that understanding totally misunderstands grace. His position in this chapter is exactly that. Verse 1, Romans chapter 6, he struck down the erroneous belief rooted in the idea that we somehow have the liberty to continue in sin. You remember that from last week? I want you to see that in verse 1 of chapter 6. And look down to verse 15, chapter 6. In this particular verse, Paul the Apostle, he strikes down the belief rooted in the idea... That somehow, now that we find ourselves in Christ Jesus, that somehow we have the liberty to intentionally sin from time to time. And in both cases, Paul the Apostle says, God forbid. That is not the liberty grace has given to us. And the point is that grace actually compels us. Look up on your screen. Grace actually compels us to do the right thing. We are now expected to do the right thing. It doesn't ever give us the right to live as we please. It never has and it never will. Now turning your Bibles to Romans 7, we're going to begin here with verses 1, 2, and 3. And in this one particular chapter, it's important to note right off the bat that Paul continues with his discussion from Romans chapter 6. Read with me or follow along with me uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, and do you not know, brothers? For so I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she would be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. I don't know if you noticed there, but in my mind, Paul the Apostle seemingly takes a couple steps back instead of advancing the narrative from. Moving along past the content of Romans chapter 6, he he sort of does a double take and he moves towards reaffirming a point he presented in Romans chapter 6. Does that make sense? He sort of overlaps his context. And I want you to see this. I want you to look at verse verse 14 in Romans 6. Verse 14 in Romans 6. And the subject is... Concerning our position in Christ in relationship to the law. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Did you notice that? Notice that. I'm going to read that again. Because this is fundamental to the Christian faith. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. And the idea there is that we have been delivered from the dominion. Some people refer to it as the domain. That we have been delivered from the domain or the bond of the law. And are therefore free to do the right thing. That's what Paul is telling us here. Think about that freedom that you found in Jesus Christ. Whenever you chose to accept Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. How many of you remember... When you actually gave your heart to Jesus Christ. How many remember? Let me see your hands. You remember. I vaguely remember. I don't remember the exact day. But I know it was in the first week of November. We are in the first week of November in 1989. So this week I celebrate 30 years as a Christian. But I want you to see this. I want you to go back to. I want you to look at Romans, uh, Romans 7.1. I want you to see a clause here. He says, Paul says in verse 1, The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. And then what he does next is that he moves on to give us an illustration in support of that statement. What's he talking about? I want to make the connection between verses 1, 2, and 3 in this chapter with what he stated in verse 14 of chapter 6. I want you to remember this principle. As I stated already, it is fundamental to the Christian faith. The clause is, the law is binding only on a person, the the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. And then he gives us this illustration concerning marriage. The very first time I read this passage, I asked myself, why did he insert that illustration right here in this one particular passage? where he's trying to convey truth about our salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus died, we accepted him, and we therefore experienced salvation. But he's talking about marriage. What's he saying here? Remember, he's talking about the idea in these first six verses... Of Romans seven, if you don't remember anything else, remember that it has to do with the, the our, our deliverance. I think we can use that word, our deliverance from the law. When you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you were delivered from the domain of the law. It doesn't mean the law no no, no longer exists. It means that we are not saved by it. Mankind has actually never been saved by observing the law but there's a principal reason why that conversation exists in the new testament if you know jesus christ today you don't have to live according to some legal standard in, in other words there's nothing you can do to earn your place in heaven nothing you don't have to work you don't have to pray x amount of times a day you don't have to come to church x amount of times a week you don't have to visit a certain individual X amount of times in the year. There's nothing you have to do to earn your place in heaven. And so Paul uses the illustration of holy matrimony. In the same way, in other words, that a woman is set free from the bond of marriage. When her husband dies, you and I were delivered from the law when Jesus Christ sacrificed his body on the cross long ago. Doesn't mean you and I have to die in that natural sense, but it does mean that figuratively or metaphorically speaking, you and I have to die. And we're going to get there. I want you to remember that. In the same way, a woman, I just want to repeat this so that you hear it. In the same way, a woman is released from her marriage bond to her husband. When He dies, you and I were set free from the law when we died with Christ through the miracle of conversion. And that's what baptism is all about. So, as I stated already, this is fundamental to our faith. If you're looking up on your screen, there is no salvation if there is no freedom from the law. Did you know that? There is no salvation. If you and I had to work our way into heaven... We are hopeless because there's nothing you and I can possibly ever do in that accumulative sense to earn our place in heaven. And did you know, do you know how many Christians, how many Christians are not aware of this simple truth? For many reasons, Christians who live their lives wrestling with sin and guilt because they fail to realize the extent to which Christ has made them free many christians live with this overwhelming sense of guilt in their lives because anybody perfect i ask that question from time to time none of us are perfect right so we know when we do things that are inappropriate right we get this sense of guilt but thankfully we also know what jesus did for us to free us from sin and and i'm totally appreciative of that how many how many are Uh, To that end, right? That Jesus died for our sins. But there are a lot of people who don't necessarily understand this truth. There are a lot of churches that preach legalism in their churches. Not sure if you ever heard that term before or not. They preach legalism. In other words, Christ and, and they add certain things that a believer must exercise himself in, in order to enter heaven. And so Paul the Apostle, he's, he's having this argument, if you will, with a lot of Romans believers who were actually Jewish at one point. And they had difficulty wrapping their hearts and minds around the concept that Christ and Christ alone. And that there's nothing you have to do to ever earn salvation. In verse 1 he says, For I'm speaking to those who know the law. As I just finished referring to. Who's he talking to? I'm speaking to those of you who know the law. He's talking to Jewish converts to Christianity. And they of all people needed to understand the subject of freedom from the law. It is no secret, at least in my mind, that those who once observed observed the law had difficulty fully embracing the teachings of grace. Grace. They wrestled with whether faith alone was sufficient for salvation. And that's a problem in the church today as well. So what does Paul do? In verses 2 and 3, he appeals to them by referencing, referencing a subject he knew they'd be acquainted with. The subject is marriage in view of the civil law. Marriage in view of the civil law. He used the illustration about marriage bond to make his point about our freedom from the law. Now, I want you to look at this. Look at verse four, because this point that I'm making is going to clear itself up nicely. Verse four. And I want you to look at the just the first part of verse four four a, if you will. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ." He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Verse one, he writes that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives, which kind of gives the impression that we have to die. Right. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Does that mean that I have to die in order to be free from the law in some sense? It does. Watch how Paul clears this up. But here, in this one verse, verse 4, at least this portion that we've read, Paul says, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. The idea is that Christ's physical death served to completely satisfy the demands of the law, and that as such, you and I we released from its dominion or, or from its domain when we died with Christ during our conversion. Go back to chapter 6. I want you to see this. Because Paul makes it clear that our death at that point, when we accepted Jesus as Lord, united us by faith with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. This is about Baptism. Look at verses 3 and 4, Romans 6. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into... Let's try that one more time. Do you not know that all of us who, were, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his, were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life he's talking about baptism and that's what baptism is it symbolizes yeah it symbolizes everything that occurs during our conversion and every time whenever a person accepts Jesus Christ as lord and savior when that person comes around to get him baptized that person, he or she, is actually publicly putting that on display. Putting what on display? The fact that he or she died and was buried and rose again with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to come back around to this. I want you to go back to verse 1. Or rather, first, the first part of verse 4, rather. I want, I want you to get this. If nothing else, you have to get this point. He says... The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. One of the points that I hammered extensively in the last two weeks was his idea concerning repentance. How how many remember that? This notion of dying is directly linked, the connection is, with repentance. Repentance. When you and I stand in front of a church or wherever you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. Or let's just say at the tail end of service I invite somebody to come up and to know Jesus. The idea that should be running its course through the heart of an individual like that is the idea of repentance. The idea of laying down my life and taking it back up again in Christ Jesus and choosing to live life according to the will of God. That's repentance. And that's the clear picture of baptism. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's saying. When you died, when you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you died with Him. You were buried with Him. When He rose again, you rose again with Him. And you should be living your life now with the intent to give Him glory and honor all the days of your life. It doesn't mean that at some point we're going to be perfect. Can we be perfect this side of heaven in no way, shape or form? We can never be perfect. And God does not expect perfection from any one of his children in no way, shape or form. But he does expect us to be committed to him. I think that is fair to say. So the question is. Where do we go from here? What should be our intention in life now that we are believers? Now, I want you to look at the rest of verse four now, because Paul gives us a great response in this one particular verse. He says, so that you may belong to him in order that we may bear fruit for God. Yes, I skipped some words, but I want you to see the point, the part of the verse that's pertinent. And if you got a highlighter and you want to underline it, that's what you need to highlight right there. What is our intention in life? This is, a, this is Paul's argument. Now that you have been delivered, now that you are saved, what is our purpose in life? Where do we go from here? Paul answers it. He says, so that you may belong to another in order that we may bear fruit for God. And that speaks to what our focus should be in life. Concerning the first phrase, let's look at this for a few moments. The first phrase is, so that you may belong to another. The word is sanctification. Write this down on your notes. The word is sanctification, so that we may belong to another. And that word word is used in view of ownership or possession. It's used in view of ownership or possession. And I shared this with you a few weeks ago. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Write that down on your notes. Because that's what Paul is talking about, is the idea of transference or translation. When Jesus died, he opened up an opportunity for those who accept him to be totally removed where it matters the most in the spirit, to be totally removed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We are no longer residents in the kingdom of the enemy, no longer bound. To the law, no longer subject to live according to the dictates of the law. We have been translated and we are now members in the kingdom of God here on earth. And we have the liberty to move forward and to do the right thing. Amen, somebody. The word is sanctification. But I want you to look at the second phrase in that verse. In order that we may bear fruit for God. That's an important phrase right there. Because it's talking about our disposition. Now that I know Jesus, what do I do with the rest of my life? How do I move forward? The word is also, surprisingly, sanctification. Because the New Testament presents two different definitions for the term sanctification. One, our position in Christ. Our freedom in Christ. Our freedom in Christ because uh, based on his merit, based on what he did for us on the cross. And two, our lifestyle. What we do with our lives now that we know Jesus. It's this process, this ongoing process of sanctification. And Paul's talking about perseverance. Those are synonymous terms. He's talking about commitment. He's talking about sacrifice obedience, etc., is the idea of living out our faith in a manner which honors God. Amen, somebody. And I think here in this church, we know a lot about that. We're going to consider this in the next couple of verses, but I want to give you a verse that actually correlates with this. I want you to look in your Bibles. I want you to turn with me very, very, very quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I can quote it. I have it here on my paper as well. But I want you to see it for yourselves. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3. And we're only going to consider the relevant part. The subject matter of verse 3. Not the entire verse because it speaks specifically to fornication. And that's not the subject here. The subject is sin, sanctification, and moving forward along those lines. When you have it, say amen. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from dot, dot, dot. That you should abstain from sin. It's talking about a particular sin. But that's irrelevant to this conversation. The idea is that God has called us to be set apart from sin. Hence the word sanctification. I'm sanctified in Christ. I'm holy. I'm going to heaven whether I grow in my faith from where I am today. I'm on my way to heaven because I know Jesus. That's sanctification. But because I know Jesus, I need to move forward and live a life that's pleasing to Him. That is also sanctification. Now look at verses 4, um, 5, and 6. 5 and 6. 8, chapter 7. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 7. Some of you are looking at 5 and 6 in First Thessalonians 4. You're, hmm, what? Romans 7. 5 and 6. It says, for, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Verse 6. But now we are released from the law. Having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve. See that? That action, that adjective, so that we serve, or that verb I meant to say, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code, or in the old way of the law. Verse 5 is talking about the old life. And then he presents our condition in Christ in verse 6, in the beginning of the verse... Where he says, now now we are released from the law. And then he closes out verse 6 with a statement of fact concerning the manner in which we should live. Look at the middle part of verse 6 again. It says that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit. That we may serve in the new way of the Spirit. And that is what Paul meant by the phrase in verse 4, bearing fruit for God. You and I are expected to bear fruit for God. Number one, bearing fruit for God has to do with our service to Him. It's also an idea centered around fellowship. I love the term fellowship. I love it. it, it, it it's, this is fellowship here this morning. But think in terms of your relationship with your, with your God. Think in terms of fellowship with your Creator. It's about intimacy, isn't it not? We didn't have fellowship with Christ before we accepted him. Or we didn't have fellowship with God before we accepted Christ. We weren't serving him before Christ. And we were, in effect, rebellious before God. And the application is that as believers, we must recognize the need to be intimate with God. How many married couples here today? How many of you recognize the need to be intimate with one another? And I'm not, don't, don't red apple, think of red apple, okay? Think of a red apple. I'm not talking about sex here this morning when I say use the word intimate, right? Because that's the least, that's the, the means by which we least fulfill fellowship in the marriage relationship. I think compatibility has a lot to do with fellowship. I think conversation, communion, can we have a relationship if there's no dialogue, if there's no communication? Right? Right? right. right. I, 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 think, I think the best way to sever, to sever a marriage is to cut off communication. Do you agree with that statement? The best, the securest, the fastest way to destroy a marriage is to cut off communication. So when I say intimacy, that's what I'm talking about. Grace affords us the opportunity to enjoy fellowship with our Creator. And that's an extraordinary thing. It's about identity with Him. It's about meaning and purpose. It's about a lasting relationship with God. But the second point concerning this idea of bearing fruit for God is as follows. Paul the Apostle seems to suggest that bearing fruit for God can only occur if we are walking in the Spirit. Look at the verse again. Look at verse 6. If we are walking in the Spirit. He says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the... that's one of you let's try that again i got to stimulate participation you know what i'm gonna do from now on i think i'm working on it right i I actually succeeded in getting these things typed right before i was always with my tablet well guess what i think next week i'm gonna try it out Uh, michelle's gonna help me out here right michelle say yes yes michelle's gonna help me out right so i type these out myself and she helps me out with the powerpoint i think when i send her the outline Michelle, can you delete some lines and some words and some phrases? We're going to make copies and we're going to hand them to you, right? We're going to make sure that in front of you, you all got nice and sharp pencils so that we can follow along. And I think Miss Carol Ann said, yes, amen to that. I like that. All huh, right, Carol Ann? no? She says, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that to me. Verse six, look at that again. I got to get back on track in my mind. But now we are released from the law. Having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That's just another way of saying the law. The only way you and I can fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives is to actually live our lives in the spirit. To walk by the spirit. We're going to look at a couple of things here because I want, to, I want to understand. I want us to understand what that looks like if I can find my place again. Lord have mercy. I picked up my papers and I got lost. So the verse reads, in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Or not in the old way of the law. It means we must live by a new constitution. I like that word. That our flesh should no longer dictate our affairs. This is a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you have overcome the dictates of the flesh? Extremely difficult. Is it not? We got this voice on the inside of us. This flesh. We're going to look at this in the next couple of weeks. The things that I want to do. I find that those are the things that I'm having difficulty actually carrying out or living out. The things that I want to do, those are the things that I'm not doing, vice versa. And there's this war, this battle that's taking place on the inside of us. But it's important to note, I'm I, see I've come back around to the point. It's important to know that at least with regard to this, this, these six verses in this chapter, Paul is stating a powerful and fundamental truth to the believer. Because when we fail to understand the point of these six verses, we will always struggle with living out our faith in the body. Because of the dictates of the flesh. And we're not always doing the right thing. Are you always doing the right thing? Or are you always thinking the right way? Are you always watching the ideal program on television? Sometimes we waste a whole lot of time watching all the wrong wrong programs on television, right? And so Paul is acknowledging that. But he says, listen, you are dead to the law. When you accepted Jesus, you died to the law. And now you are actually free to do the right thing. But in order to do the right thing, according to verse 6, you and I have to now learn how to walk in the Spirit. The question is, how do we walk in the Spirit? I want you to look at a verse with me. And um, go to Romans, go a uh, uh, couple of verses over. Romans eight. I think I said verses. I meant chapters. Romans eight. I want you to look at um, twelve through fourteen. It says, "So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will you will die." But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the law, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You see how Paul the Apostle is unraveling this point here? You're dead to Christ. You are free. The question is, does that mean you have the right, you have the liberty to live life the way you want to? He says, God forbid. You do not. Our intent in life should be to honor God. Our intent in life should be to honor God. He says, we are debtors. If, we, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, what's, this, what's, it, what's he mean by that? You, you, you will die. He's talking about defilement. He's talking about corruption. You're going to die in that sense. Instead of progressing, instead of, instead of getting better instead of getting stronger as a child of God, instead of growing in righteousness or growing in faithfulness, persevering in the things that pertain to God, you're going to compromise faith when every single time when we allow ourselves to be governed by the dictates of our flesh. As a final point here, and the most basic one, I should have started off with this one, is that we are, in fact, free to move on From the life of sinful pleasure. The point is, the idea is that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. That we can. And it's all based on what Jesus did for us on the cross. The idea, remember, is this. You're free from the domain of the law. This is the domain of the law over here. You're not used to belong over there. The blood of Jesus Christ, His resurrection, severed. He delivered us. He sanctified us and set us free. We are no longer under the domain of the law. I don't have to be enslaved by its dictates any longer. Now, I want you to see these last verses. I want you to go to Galatians chapter 5. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Galatians Galatians chapter 5 16 through 18 Roman I mean Galatians 5 16 through 18 It says but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In, in, in other words, if I am saved, I'm no longer subject to the law because the spirit of God lives within me. And if the Spirit of God lives within me, I can, in fact, overcome the dictates of the flesh. You and I can move away from the dictates of the flesh. Some of us struggle with something. Some of, we are all struggling with something here today. And, 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 and let's, let's be real. Sometimes it's as if we run into a brick wall and we got this recurring issue Every day, every week, every month, and every year, we wonder, when are we going to finally be able to overcome this issue? How many ever felt that? How many are there right now? Right? It's a reality. It happens. And how can I press this? Like, can I get a jackhammer? Can I get a sledgehammer so I can break this wall, this hindrance? Paul the Apostle referred to it as habitual sinning. This constant, oh, woe is me. We keep coming around with it. It's because of the dictate of a pleasure in your physical body. And by the Holy Spirit, you and I can overcome. By the Holy Spirit, you and I will overcome. Let me close. In closing, I believe wholeheartedly that we must always be thankful to God for the freedom he's given us. From the bondage to the law. He's given us freedom from the bondage of the law, and it's the reason why today we get to enjoy our salvation. John eight thirty six reads, So if so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. So if the sun sets you free, you may be you will be you will be free indeed. Max, will you come up if you can? Max says, but I'm alone. I'm alone. Do you really want to do this? Let's just summarize really quickly. Paul the Apostle opens up the conversation in Romans 7 by visiting a previous point that he made in Romans 6.14. A point that has to do with the fact that you are no longer subject, you and I are no longer subject to the law. That we're free from it. Amen. How many say amen to that? Amen. We are free from the law. You don't have to allow yourself to be enslaved to the law. Then he gives us this kind of weird illustration concerning marriage. And how the marriage bond for the woman is dissolved when the husband dies. Why did, he, why did it even go there? Why why couldn't he say that the man is free? The man is free when the woman dies. It's a long story. There's a research opportunity for you. Find out why it is he stated that illustration the way that he did. It's very, very, very interesting. And it actually relates. But the point is that today we are free in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I love that. How many like that? I want you to stand with me. Stand with me. We are free in Jesus. And that grace, God's greatest gift to mankind, actually gives us the opportunity to live for God. And that by His Spirit, by His Spirit, we can actually live this thing out. And we can, in fact, be victorious in life. Father, thank you so much for speaking speaking to us here today. Thank you so much for these verses. In the 7th chapter of the book of Romans, thank you so much for their truth, their life, their substance. Thank you so much for freeing us. Freeing us from sin. Removing condemnation from our lives. And giving us your Holy Spirit by whom we can live a life that honors you. We bless you today, Lord God, and we glorify you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say... so much for our time in your presence here today thank you so much for allowing us to come to church today thank you for blessing us with this fellowship thank you for blessing us with the opportunity to relate with you to be in fellowship with you to identify with you here today thank you for our freedom father god and thank you for the blessed blessed presence of your holy spirit who enables us who helps us who encourages us who leads us and guides us, Father, in paths of righteousness, for your name's sake. Father, please bless us as we leave this place, as we go our separate ways. May you bless us, Father God, as we go to work this week. May you anoint us. May you give us the grace that we need, Lord God, to fulfill our responsibilities to you, our vows to you. Help us to be faithful, Father God. Help us to live our faith intentionally. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you guys next week.